So good morning, everyone. Uh, I am Holden, uh, if you don't know me. Uh, I get to be one of the communicators here at Regeneration Church. Uh, I'm also on staff, uh, currently leading the hospitality team. Um, <clears throat> so if you're joining us here online or in person, I'm so grateful that you're here, so excited for what today has in store for us. Um, but before I dive into the scriptures and what we're going to be talking about today, I just want to reiterate a couple of the announcements from this morning. Um, first, just a reminder, the feast is at Tim and Kristen's house. It's going to be fun. Uh, I'm going to run to the store and pick up a store-bought dessert because I'm really bad at planning these things out throughout the week. Um, but if the store-bought dessert is not enough to get you there, uh, my 15-month-old daughter will be there as well, and she loves seeing your guys' faces. So if you want to go on stop out it'll be fun she'll love to give you a hug um, so today um, oh other announcement forgot one that's super important next week July 4th 10:30, one service so pop quiz how many services are we having next week one. a plus is for everybody so Today we're going to be talking about, we're continuing on through the missionary journeys of Paul. Um, last week we talked about Paul and his journey in Antioch. Today we're going to be looking at his journey in Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Um, so some of you may not know, but I am actually currently enrolled in school. Um, and during the semester, I get to play the role of student. So today I thought I'd swap seats and play the role of teacher and give you guys a history lesson. Um, so the towns that we're looking at today, we'll start with Iconium. So Iconium was one of the most fav famous towns in Lyconia. Um, the reason for this was where it was located. It was located on a major intersection of Roman roads. It was also located very closely to some very good farmland. Um, and because of this, it allowed this city to flourish. Uh, it became uh, a trade city that was well populated. It was productive and politically influential. Uh, and because of this, Iconium was a mixing pot housing both Jews and Gentiles. Um, Lystra and Derby, on the other hand, uh, they were smaller agricultural towns. Um, these towns may have had some small Jewish uh, colonies within it. Um, however, it, because it was mostly a Roman city, uh, Roman-owned area, um, there it was mostly filled with Greeks and other Gentiles. Um, and because of this, uh, there was a difference in the way that the gospel had to be presented to them. So as we go ahead and get into scripture today, would you open your Bibles to Acts 14, and we'll start at the beginning. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and, po and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, some with, some with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. 
Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, look, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So today we're going to look uh, at the different ways in which we share the gospel. Proclamation and demonstration. We can see in this passage and within the New Testament, uh, the proclamation, proclaiming meaning to tell and demonstration, uh, uh, demonstrating meaning to show or make visible. And so I'm going to break the scripture up. We're going to read through it again, and I'm going to break it up into sections so that we can have a, uh, a deeper understanding of what each section is showing us. So if we start back at the beginning, now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, proclaiming, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders, demonstration, to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, and some with the apostles. So there's a couple things that we see in these first verses. Uh, we see Paul and Barnabas speaking uh, in the synagogue, and the Jews and the Greeks begin to believe in Jesus. And as they were preaching, those who didn't believe in Jesus began stirring up trouble for the apostles. Uh, in this passage, the apostles means ones sent, or missionaries, not referring to the twelve. Um, but the apostles, they continued preaching because God was with them. He granted them the power to perform signs and wonders, and even with all of this, people were dis divided between the apostles and the Jews. And this is the first thing that we're going to look at. Um, there's 
there's a couple things we see as the gospel is proclaimed. And when the gospel is proclaimed, people become divided. Uh, when you're sitting in your massaging, lazy boy recliner, looking through social media, this isn't a personal experience at all, um, you see controversial posts, provocative posts, maybe something new about the Kids Bob album having a pretty nasty song on it, and no one bats an eye. But the second Jesus is brought into a conversation, a line is created between us as believers and those who are unbelievers. When Jesus is brought into the conversation, we often hear phrases like, religion shouldn't have a say in that matter. Or, that's an archaic belief and holds no value today. Or something similar to that. And these phrases are an indication of a divide between people and how they understand the gospel and even Christianity. We actually see Jesus speaking about this division in Matthew 10, 34 through 39, where he talks about not coming to bring peace, but a sword. Um, there is going to be a divide uh, between believers and non-believers, uh, those who are proclaiming and those who are we are trying to reach. Uh, I'm not saying that God brings chaos or creates chaos. In fact, 1 Corinthians 14.33 tells us that God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all congregations of the Lord's people. What I am saying, though, is that often people would rather keep living in the life of sin that they are than stopping and following after God. Today, sharing the gospel looks different for us. Uh, we are no longer standing on the steps of synagogues or walking through the countryside. Some of us may be, but not all of us. Um, rather, we are having conversations one-on-one. -on -one. We are leading small groups. Um, the division and conflict that we are going to see is going to look different. You might be leading a small group through a difficult passage of scripture, and someone speaks up and says, well, that's not what I believe. That's not what that means. Or your coworker comes in one day and they're having a really rough day, so you pray with them and you start talking to them about Jesus. And then a little bit later, you find yourself in your HR office with them saying, Well, you need to stop that. You can't. Of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own way. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did not give, but for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Now in this section, we see another example of what happens when the gospel is proclaimed. After Paul tears his clothes off, he begins preaching to the Gentiles. And like I said, because of the audience, Paul had to change his tactics on how he reached them. When speaking to Jews, he would talk about the Old Testament God and explain how he used the Old Testament for, to show a savior. Because the Gentiles did not have that foundation, Paul started back at the very beginning explaining how it was God uh, who created everything and how God, though he allowed people to live their lives, he was always there and was with them through the natural world. And this is something that they would have understood because in Greek mythology, all Greek gods had their own worldly domain. 
And so so Paul was speaking to what they knew. Uh, And he is describing God as the God over all domains. And Paul puts this all in the frame of good news. And in this context, context, and often the way that Paul uses this when speaking to the Gentiles is a turn away and turn to. See, uh, God, w- Paul was urging the Gentiles to turn away from these imaginary gods that they were worshiping and turn to a living God because Paul was telling them that they cannot just take Jesus and add him onto what they are already doing. It requires them to give up. Uh, it requires them to give up what they had which would have been very difficult for them because they took their worship very seriously. He was trying to get them to consider that the true God, uh, consider the true God by speaking to what they knew. In verse 17, he says, He did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with good, with food and gladness. See, these things would have been attributed to Zeus or one of the other Greek gods. But what Paul was doing was he was telling them that it was the one living God instead. He was speaking about God's kindness to all men, which bears witness to God's love and power. Um, And theologians often refer to this concept as a common grace. The language here, uh, the language here that Paul is using actually uh, coincides with uh, what he says in Romans 1, 19 through 21. Since what, since what may be known, sorry, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his internal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, before Jesus, God allowed people outside of the Jewish culture uh, to live as they were. He didn't hold them to the same level of righteousness that he held uh, the Jews. But that is no longer the case. Jesus came, and God has made himself known to everybody. He has made himself plainly known to everybody, and he is calling them to turn away and ter- turn away from their old ways and turn towards Jesus. Paul even writes about what happens uh, when this act of turn away and turn to is actually happens in the church. We see that when he writes his letter to Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians, he talks about how because this church has turned away from their pagan gods, the gospel has spread to all of the cities around them. Because they have turned away from their pagan gods and turned towards God, looking for and waiting for Jesus to come back and save us. The gospel has spread. See, by Paul calling the Gentiles to turn away from their uh, pagan worship and leave behind their old beliefs uh, and turn towards the one true God, he is challenging their old beliefs. And this is the second thing that we see when the gospel is uh, proclaimed, is that people's beliefs are challenged. 
and this is not an easy thing to do. Um, in fact, many people will struggle with this, struggle with this whole turn away and turn towards. Um, and we even see that uh, when Paul is barely able to restrain the crowds after preaching this. They still want to give him praise. They still want to sacrifice. And that's why the Jews were so angry, is because when, they're when you're challenging their old beliefs, you're challenging someone's way of life. Everything that they believe has to be changed when they start following after Jesus, and the Jews did not accept that. Let me put into perspective for you real quick about how angry the Jews were. So Antioch is 90 miles from Iconium. Iconium is 20 miles from Lystra. So for some of them, verse 19 tells us that the Jews came down from Antioch and Iconium. So for some of them, that's 110 miles. Now for us, that's not a big deal. 110 miles, what's that, a couple hours drive? However, the average traveling day back then was about 20 miles a day. So that's about five and a half days of travel without any stopping, without any detours. They were angry and they wanted it stopped. They didn't want the gospel to keep spreading, and so they would come and try to turn people away from it. It challenged their way of life. It didn't fit into their agenda. Does that sound familiar? This hasn't changed. Still today, as people are told about God, there are aspects of it they don't like. They like the idea of having this all-powerful being who loves and cares for us and wants to see us be successful in life, but they don't like the truth that God's calling us to live above our sin, above our worldly beliefs. And so things like homosexuality being a sin, premarital sex, that little white lie we told to our boss uh, Friday morning because we wanted to stop and get that cup of Starbucks coffee, all of them we are called above. And people don't like that. So they push back and they try to turn others away from the truth in an effort to stop it from spreading. So let me go over these three points really quick, and I'll bring us in for a landing. This time it's going way faster than it did last service. I, last service was like a half hour, and I feel like I'm at 20 minutes right now. Um, so what happens when the gospel is proclaimed? People are divided, and old beliefs are challenged. And when the gospel is demonstrated, people's attention is gained. So now that we know what happens when the gospel is demonstrated and proclaimed, where does that leave us? So this fall, you know, you've heard Kyle talk about it. We're making a shift outward, uh, and it's going to be a major shift. Uh, for, the, for a while now, we have been focusing majorly on an upward and in relationship. Uh, we've, been, we've been building a reliance on the Holy Spirit, scripture, and worship, and focusing really deeply on discipleship. This fall, though, this fall, though it seems far off, it really isn't that far, uh, we're focusing on an outward relationship with our communities. And we are going to come face-to-face -face with uh, different groups of people who are going to respond differently to how they hear and see the gospel proclaimed and demonstrated. As we proclaim the gospel to people, we may experience division. Some people will believe and others won't. Some people will have their beliefs challenged and that will make them uncomfortable. 
But through the demonstration of the gospel, people's attention will be gained and they'll be willing to listen to what we have to say. The catch here, though, is that this mission-oriented season will really require both a proclamation and demonstration. See, there's an old saying that I'm sure some of us had heard. Um, Preach the gospel always and use words when necessary. This is a nice one-liner. But the reality is, is that preaching the gospel is both proclamation, a speech, and a demonstration, an action. One does not replace the other because they rely upon each other. So if you guys would go ahead and pray with me as Heather comes up here for response time. Um, Father God, we come before you. Uh, Lord, praying that uh, you would give us a way to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel in our life. Lord, that we would not be satisfied with just having one or the other, but that we would strive to seek after both. Lord, let us seek after you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.